Hey sister, this is Misty Williams, founder of HealingRosie.com, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Rosie Radio. Tune in to find clarity, direction, and hope for your healing. New episodes drop every Tuesday. We created this show to empower you to regain control of your life and feel like yourself again. Yes, sister, it is possible. I am just so excited about the conversation that I'm going to have with my friend Deborah today. Um, If you've been part of the Healing Rosie community, you've probably heard me share some of my story and the struggle that I had, especially when my journey first started around, um, around being an entrepreneur and dealing with a lot of stress. And as a woman, not really knowing how to manage or mitigate the work stress that I was feeling. I had a belief about myself that I'm really strong and I'm capable and I can handle a lot of things and people can count on me and I'm resilient and I don't give up, right? Like all these things were deep identifiers that really went back to the little girl who was seven years old, helping mom at home, watching her sisters while parents ran errands, you know, cleaning the house, making sure we did our chores, like just responsibility that a seven-year-old shouldn't have. I look at my nieces and nephews, I have a niece that's almost seven. And I'm just like, what was my mom thinking? But, you know, somehow whatever I embodied at that age made her feel like she could really count on me and trust me. And I, that was my identity. That's who I felt I had to be in this world, in this life. And a couple of years into my journey with my health, I started experiencing these deepening cycles of burnout. Certainly there had been times earlier in my career where I felt, you know, a little bit of a little bit burnt out, it'll run down. But these were like deep, like soul crushing, depleting, devastating cycles of burnout. And I would, I would experience this burnout and then I would come out of it and, and I would go charge again and it would happen again. And I can't even describe how demoralizing it was to pour so much of your heart and soul into something and to feel like you get to the end of the road and it's for naught, like things don't turn out like you expect. I was really struggling at the time with my team and I did not know how to be the leader that got other people to be as accountable as I was being, right? Um, And it's really because I was so overly accountable that I didn't give space for other people to be accountable. And so I didn't attract people who wanted to be accountable because I took up all the accountable energy and my life started changing for the better around 38, 39, when I found the work of Alison Armstrong and she's an amazing teacher on relationships and relating, not just romantic relationships, but relating in general. And I started studying partnership and the inner, the energetics of partnership. And I realized that in my life, I was showing up as both provider accountable energy and supporter enhancer energy. I was providing, I was I was handling all the accountability. I was supporting energetically. Everything was going out. Nothing was coming in. And I actually had no idea how to shift this pattern. It was confronting and illuminating and relieving all at the same time. She started explaining how men much more naturally because of how we're socialized in our society they more naturally expect support if they are going to be accountable. And by receiving support, they're able to fully show up and be accountable and also be successful in their accountability, right? And if a man isn't receiving support, he tends to release, let go of, not take on the accountability. And 
like I saw that I looked at how my father was. I looked at how the men I respected in my life were. They all had so much more support than what I had in my life. And I started seeing, like I was looking into this mirror of, I am the problem. And I started making some really big shifts around what I expected if I was going to be accountable. And I didn't want to be accountable all the time. So I actually learned how to build a team where I shifted accountability down so that I could show up as supporter. They could be accountable. I'm more in my natural essence. I quit having cycles of burnout. Things quit being such a struggle. I was able to move into a whole different space, attract the love of my life. We've been together for four years now. Like just everything changed with these principles and concepts. So we're going to talk to Deborah today about the divine feminine and how to show up more in your life with this supporter enhancer feminine energy that for women especially is more native to us. And in our society, we're not taught that embodiment in this energy is okay if you want to be successful and all of these things. But I would also say that this is a really important conversation for men because first of all, you're in relationships with women. But second of all, everyone has masculine and feminine in them. And one of the things I love about my partner is that he's really in touch, not only with his masculine provider directive, go after it, you know, energy. He's a mechanic. He works with his hands. He fixes everything. You know, he's fantastic, but he's also in touch with the more open, supportive, um, um, generous energy that often characterizes femininity. And I, I love that about him. I love that we can talk about our feelings together. I love that he is very tender and gentle and loving with me. I've been with men who weren't in touch with the supportive side of, of their own being. And it's, it's hard as a woman, it's hard because over time there's limited ways that you can connect. And I can also see for these men, the connection that they're missing in their own life. And at the end of the day, what makes us all feel supported and safe and what reduces our stress? It's connection, it's togetherness, it's feeling like we're not alone. So this conversation is going to be really, 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 really fabulous. Dr. Deborah Fryer is a money mindset mentor, spiritual business coach, and creator of the Anatomy of Money System for Holistic Wealth and Wellbeing. She helps heart-centered entrepreneurs break through subconscious mental, emotional, and financial blocks so they can create sustainable, soul-aligned six- or seven-figure businesses with ease, speed, and confidence without working harder, feeling guilty, downplaying your success, or selling your soul. Deborah holds a PhD in comparative literature from Princeton, and she's an award-winning filmmaker who has created content for PBS, Nova, Frontline, the National Science Foundation, and other media channels. She also completed a post-baccalaureate pre-medical degree and has been teaching and practicing yoga and meditation for over 30 years. Her unique blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, narrative medicine, and creative visualization has helped thousands of business owners around the world change their minds, their mindset, and their relationship to money power, and true wealth. She's the author of Best Brain Hacks, Turn On Your Tap, and the forthcoming Anatomy of Money, Your Inside Guide to Wealth. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation with you. Yes, I'm so excited too. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about um, kind of probably a, a defining moment in your life when you lost your father to stress and really started deeply exploring what stress is, what it does to the body, and what we need to do in order to live with less 
stress. So I'd love for you just to kind of kick things off and take us into this experience you had. So my background, as you've already shared, is I am a documentary filmmaker, and I was making films about the environment, about climate change, about science. And I was also teaching yoga and meditation. And I felt like those two worlds had to be completely separate. When I was working for Nova and Frontline, I had to have my professional hat on. I had to be a scientist. I had to be evidence-based. And nobody could know that I meditated. Nobody could know about the realms that I accessed through meditation because it just seemed so weird and woo. I thought, you know, they would fire me if they knew that I was that weird. And then, you know, I had this other part of me when I was teaching yoga and meditation and I lived in those realms of consciousness that people wanted to access and they wanted to know how to access that and so there, I didn't let people know about the nerdy, sciencey evidence parts. So I was living this super compartmentalized life. And my income was also very compartmentalized. When I was on a project, I was on the moon. I felt really good about myself. I had income. I felt like I was contributing and I was happy. Then the project would end. And I felt like I fell through the ice. And I had to use overdraft protection to pay my bills. You know, I was in debt every dang month. And it was really frustrating. And I didn't understand how could I be so smart and so stupid about money? How could I be so artistic and have such a blind spot about this thing that touches everything? And so I decided uh, in a in a kind of way of making decisions that a lot of people make decisions in that is an extremely stressful way of making decisions. I made a decision that I wasn't good enough as I am and that I needed some external validation for me to be good enough. So I thought I needed to go to medical school to get a real paycheck, a real respect, consistent income. I would actually be somebody if I went to medical school. So this way of thinking is extremely, extremely stressful because what we're telling our subconscious minds is I'm not okay as I am. I need external validation, external money, external respect, external approval in order for me to be okay. And since I don't control any of that external stuff, my okayness is not in my control. So I just want to, you know, pull back the curtain on my own experience. I wasn't aware of it when I was in it. And now that I have this perspective, I'm really on a mission to help everyone live a life of unconditional love, unconditional creativity, unconditional freedom to self-express in the authentic way that only you can. So here I am on my way to medical school. And I decided I need to go to medical school so that I can have a real paycheck and, and have real respect. So I, I had to do all the post-baccalaureate pre-medical training because my PhD was not in a medical science. It was in comparative literature. So here I am studying anatomy and physiology and psychology and biology and organic chemistry. And I'm doing all this lab stuff. And I was working in an anatomy lab for two years. And it was just the coolest thing ever to get my hands into the body and to explore the nervous system and the heart and the lungs and the kidneys. And it was just beautiful and and mystical. It was this transcendent experience for me. And in the middle of this experience, my dad dropped out of a heart attack. He was sitting at his computer reading the news and then he fell off his chair and he was done. And it's a big deal when you lose a parent. It's a big deal when a parent transitions. And so my dad left his body 
And the next day, it was my job to go into the anatomy lab and take the heart out of the cadaver to prepare it for the students. And I remember saying to my teacher, to my boss, I can't do this. And she said, of course, I understand. And I thought about it and I thought, I can't not do this. I have to see what killed my dad. I have to understand it. So I went into the anatomy lab and I did remove the heart from a cadaver. And it turns out this cadaver had also died of a massive coronary, just like my dad did. And when the heart is performing optimally, it empties and fills, empties, fills, empties, fills, empties, fills. And it works in a coordinated fashion of expand, contract, empty, fill, give, receive, old, new. It's constantly in this dance, which is what's keeping us alive. And I saw in an instant that I had been running my complete, my business completely backwards. I had been overgiving and not charging. I had been giving, giving, giving my time. I had been pulling all-nighters, not allowing myself to sleep. I'd been skipping meals. I would go entire days without eating because I thought, I just need to get this done. I need to get it done. I need to get it done for them who are going to pay me, completely forgetting that if I don't nourish me, how can I operate at my optimal? And, and it was just so obvious to me holding the heart in my hands that I needed to learn to be a great receiver, that I had been operating completely counter to the laws of nature. I had been operating completely counter to every organ system in the body. The heart is expanding and contracting. Lungs are expanding and contracting. Your digestive system is taking in and letting go. This is the peristalsis. This is the digestive process, right? Every single cell of me is participating in this, but I, for some reason, had excluded myself as if the laws of biology and physics did not pertain to me. And it was just this huge, huge, like the entire universe dropped in and tears are streaming. And I walked out of the anatomy lab that day. And I remember looking up at the trees. It was an October day in Colorado and the aspens had turned this beautiful gold color. And I remember saying to the trees, how do you do this? How do you transform so beautifully, so dramatically without drama you know like like it was a both and like the trees are so exquisite and people are traveling from around the world to look at the aspens changing color and and the transformation is a beautiful thing and why is it so hard for me to drop my old story of i'm a starving artist i can't make money i don't have anything to offer all that stuff how come it's so hard for me and it's so easy for you And the trees said, watch us, we'll teach you. And this is the divine feminine, because what the trees are showing us is that everything is part of the cycle. The changing of the leaves and the letting go of the leaves is actually creating the compost for the next generation of growth. The letting go of the leaves is allowing more light to get in. And I just started seeing all these metaphors and receiving all these messages about how everything is in a continuous cycle. It's not on off. It's not this or that. And this is where burnout comes from, right? I'm doing too much and I totally have to quit. I'm, I'm totally over it. And then I just have to like disappear. And recognizing that everything is part of a cycle change everything for me. And of course, the divine feminine is interested in collaboration. It's interested in movement that is circular rather than linear. It's interested in inclusion and collaboration and the collective rather than 
one unique thing. And we need both. So I'm going to talk about the divine feminine and I'm going to talk about the divine masculine because the divine masculine is here to support the divine feminine. We need both. We can't do one or the other. Yeah. I was, as you were talking, I was remembering one of the big um, aha moments that I had as I was like getting in touch with this concept of giving and receiving. I recognize that in my relationships often, especially where I felt some accountability or responsibility to another person, um, whatever their experience was, that they were having a hard time, a struggle, they were going something in their going through something in their life, I let their experience fill the space. And I held off what I needed to be in the relationship and have my needs met too, because I put more importance on what they were experiencing. And I remember dating this guy who was um, going through a divorce. We'd been friends and found out he was going through a divorce. Um, He was really devastated about it. Um, We were friends through this time. And after about a year, we started dating. And there was still a lot of pain for him around the divorce. And I, I wish I remembered the details of the situation, like what was happening at the time. I just remember seeing that I was letting his experience create the context and container for all of our relating. And I was not giving voice to my own experience and what I was feeling. And I remember sharing some things with him that were coming up for me that were important to me. And his response was, I'm not sure what to do with that. And my response back was, I don't know if there's anything for you to do with that. I think what I'm doing in this moment is I need to see me. I need to acknowledge me. I need to like feel worthy of having my perspective represented here. And it was just, as these words are coming out of my mouth, it was like something deep inside of me was teaching me in that moment. You know, I don't know that I had that conscious awareness before that moment that I was doing something that was so detrimental to me. And there was a shift in my spirit just saying that it was like, yes, yes. And I started, I felt this release like, oh my gosh, I do this to myself all of the time. Someone is having a challenging day, a challenging experience. They're overwhelmed by something. I let their experience define our entire interaction or exchange. And I make myself invisible. I w- this was so chronic in my life. And I could probably tell story after story just to kind of bounce off what you're saying. Because as, as, a, as a woman navigating this reality right now, I was... I was invisible to myself. And when you're invisible to yourself and you don't see you and you don't give your experience permission to exist in the space between you and other people, I didn't need anything from this guy in that moment. And I realized that after I said it, I needed nothing from him. I needed it from me. I needed it from me. And it was like this deep healing that started happening, this awareness of how much I made myself invisible. And I stopped doing that. And in my partnership now with Roderick, there are times that he's overwhelmed and he wants his experience to define our interaction. And I can listen and acknowledge what he's feeling and with strength say, I'm having a different experience and this needs to be on the table as we're navigating this, right? And because of this, 
We have a very healthy partnership. Because of this, I don't have resentment. I don't feel invisible. I don't feel overwhelmed by how much this requires of me. I'm able to stay in this relating and we've created something really beautiful, but it has nothing to do really with what Roderick is bringing to the relationship. And he's a wonderful person, right? But it, I think it really highlights my own incompetence around creating sustainable, mutually fulfilling relationships that were deep and abiding because I, I so made myself invisible all the time. And it just kind of goes back to, I am unworthy of support. I don't need support. The world needs me to give. The world doesn't need me to receive. I can't take more from the world. I think of my mom's, you know, she's giving so much already, you know, I don't want to take more from her. And it's this pattern that just backed me into this corner and suffocated me. And we talk about like this healing that needs to happen in our bodies and it can't happen if we are constantly feeling so deeply depleted because of how we make ourselves invisible in our own lives. It's so top of mind for so many people, especially women. And I think a lot of this comes from our personal conditioning. You've just shared, you know, some of the personal stuff that affected you. There's also stuff in our ancestral conditioning and there's stuff in the collective consciousness. And as a woman, and I can only speak about my experience as a woman, we have been taught that we are worth less than men. We have been taught unconsciously, un, uh, subconsciously, that we deserve to be paid less than men. Women are paid less than men. And, you know, this is changing slowly. But the conditioning for our parents and our grandparents was that you know, we're worth less. Women only recently got the right to vote, right? Got the right to be be money holders. And because we've been conditioned to believe that we're worth less, women negotiate less. When women apply for jobs, they will say, oh, I'm not qualified if they have, you know, 70, 80% of the, the skills. Whereas men will have 50% and they'll say, oh yeah, I can totally do it. Right. We've been we've been conditioned to believe that our contributions are worth less than men. And as a result, I believe that we walk around feeling worthless in some subconscious way. And so mm-hmm. what you're speaking about, that that we need to fulfill our needs directly. We need to recognize my voice is valid and so is yours. And, and the conditioning to diminish ourselves so that you feel okay about you, right? You've done it with your mom. You've done it with your ex-boyfriends. Mm-hmm. I've also mm-hmm. done it. We, you know, I don't know any woman who has not done that because we've been conditioned to do that. So we have to unlearn, you know, the expectation that we matter less, that our our contributions are less valuable, our voices, our opinions, our feelings are less valid. They are just as valid as anybody's. And until we reclaim our wholeness, we can't operate fully in relationships in our businesses as leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Great, great. Yeah, this is this is such an important conversation, and I hope there's people listening right now that are nodding. You know, this isn't something that just women do. I've talked to my guy friends about this. You know, there's definitely men, men and women both do this in different ways, and maybe it looks a little different. But I think all of us, at some point, when we feel like we are not as worthy as the other person, or when we put more emphasis on having compassion for the other person than we do on having compassion for ourselves, we create these really unhealthy dynamics and it's super toxic. 
Yeah, I think I, I agree with you that men also experience this. And I believe that men experience it a little bit differently uh, in the way that women are told that we're too emotional. We shouldn't be emotional in business. And I believe that it is actually one of our superpowers, our, our sensitivity, our ability to be intuitive and to feel and to sense and to perceive and to allow that to infuse our interactions Men have also been taught, don't be so emotional, right? That's something that women do. So I think that men also really struggle with, I I need to express a feeling, but I'm not allowed to. It's not culturally acceptable for me to cry or for me to be vulnerable or for me to say I have a need. I'm supposed to figure it out. I'm supposed to fix it. And that example you brought up is a perfect example of how all of us get caught up in the masculine paradigm. I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about the energetics of the masculine, which is there's a problem. I need to fix it. This is associated with the conscious mind, the part that wants to control, the part that wants to know how. And if we're operating from there's a problem, we're going to create problems where there aren't any so that we have something to fix. Mm-hmm. And it might show up like, you know, your partner said, what do you want me to do with that? He was in his unconscious masculine and you were like, I didn't ask you to fix it. I don't want you to fix it. I want you to hold space yeah. for me to be present with what is. And mm-hmm. that's the aligned divine masculine is holding mm-hmm. space for the isness. Mm-hmm. I was going to just say, let's talk a little bit about the ways in which um, in these, especially in, in professional work environments, but certainly this can show up in any place that women especially are, um, needing to, um, be in that accountable protector energy. What are some of the mistakes that we're making? Um, what are some of the things that are really tripping us up and how do we start creating some shifts? Mm, Great question. So let's talk about this from a business perspective. There are things that we need in our businesses to be successful. There are things we need in our business to be sustainable. One of the most obvious things that we need in our businesses to be successful and to be sustainable is we need money to flow through our businesses. So many women are afraid to charge. And I mean, it's a really obvious thing, but if you don't charge for your services, how can someone pay you for your services? And I believe that the reason, there are lots of reasons why women don't charge, but one of the reasons that women don't charge is because of the conditioning that says, I need to do this for other people. I'm not allowed to receive it for me. So I'm going to give it for free. We're so used to overgiving and we're so not used to receiving and we need to learn to strengthen that muscle of receiving so that it's okay for me to receive money for the goods or service or expertise or product that I'm contributing to the world. Women also, I have worked with many clients who do the work, but they're afraid to invoice for it. So they're afraid to go and collect what they deserve. They've actually done the work, but if the work takes more hours or if uh, you know, let's say the client is building a website and it turns out that the website became three times bigger. You know, they're afraid to adjust the agreement in accordance with the work that they've done. So there's an internal fear of valuing self, of deserving self that will show up in, oh, I'm afraid to invoice that. I think I should just cut them a deal, right? We make up a story about what they can or can't afford and what they can or can't afford is none of my business, 
they hired me to do the work and it's my responsibility to invoice them. Yeah. Right. So that's a way that, that we unwittingly are afraid to be in our masculine, the masculine, think of it like a garden hose. It's the channel through which the flow flows, or think of it like a bowl. It's the container in which the creativity sits. And if you don't have a system, a structure, a process, an SOP, right? These are the masculine uh, processes that we need in our business. How can you, as, as the the life force, as the, the, the creative generator of your business have a playground in which you feel safe playing. So that's one. Uh, Another way is with team. So, you know, we talk a lot about how when we're building team, when we have team, it really allows us to be in our zone of genius. So let's look at the team inside your head before we look at the team out here, right? Your people, let's look at the team inside your head. So you shared a beautiful example of something that many women um, have operating. I know I've had it operating in myself and I still do from time to time, which is that conversation inside the head that says, oh, this one gets to be at bat and I'm just going to sit on the bench, right? You share that you you let the your other person's needs totally fill the space and you just went invisible. And that's not you being a team player in your business, right? All of you is on your team. And so it's, you know, the work that I do with clients really is, is to help them realize that part of you that's been sitting on the bench that really wants to get in the game, we're going to put her in the game. You know, as Brene Brown says, we've got to get in the ring. And so how are we allowing all the parts of us to be valid the parts of us that feel ashamed, the parts of us that feel unloved, that feel unheard, that feel unworthy, what do they need so they recognize their contribution? It's just as valuable as the one who hits it out of the park. Because all of you is on your team. And if you don't allow for that, you're always operating at a partial percentage of your wholeness. You're operating at a partial percentage of your potential if you never allow those parts of you who really want to play to play. So there's, there's inner teamwork and then there's the outer team. So let's say you hire outer team and they keep messing things up. Well, it's your business. So again, this is the divine masculine of you need to have a conversation with them. You need to help them. And perhaps they're in the wrong role in your business. They need to be in a different role in your business. Perhaps they're not growing as fast as you. You know, you and I, Misty, are really experiencing hypergrowth in a way that's sustainable. And that's the key there. That hypergrowth is sustainable when we're feeling supported. And sometimes not everybody grows at the same rate. And we see this in nature. The daffodil blooms at a different time and for a different length of time than the rose. And the rose blooms at a different time and a different length of time from the lilac. And each one of them is beautiful in their expression. But it might not be appropriate for you to have the rose be doing the job of the daffodil. It can't. And we need to recognize this with our team members that sometimes the team member is not in the right role or they need more support in the role they're in so that they can elevate to the level that you are, or perhaps they don't belong in your business at all. And you can lovingly say, thank you so much. And we're complete. And that's part of the divine masculine also is recognizing that you having boundaries, that you having clear structure will actually contribute to your freedom. So many women I know resist discipline. 
resist structure because they say it impinges on their freedom. And in my opinion, I believe that the more structure we have, the more discipline we have, the more freedom we have. Because if you think about, again, the example of a garden hose, if you put your finger over the garden hose, you reach way farther because the expression, the water coming out of the hose is way more powerful. And so when you have structure, your reach is way more powerful. You're way more laser and you get 10 times more done in a fraction of the time, which means you end up with more free time. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here listening, thinking this is obviously this is shows up in business, but this shows up in our families and our homes. Yeah. yeah. It shows up in our greater family structure, extended family. It shows up in our social circles. I mean, th- this, this idea is prevalent everywhere. Why don't we can maybe kind of run through a couple of these other examples of how this is showing up, not just in business, but in other areas of our life too. Yeah. Well, the business example, however, it's showing up in your business is a reflection of an imprint, a mold that you brought with you into your business. And I've often thought that this work really needs to be in the corporate level because the corporation is the family in a much bigger version, right? There's somebody in the family who is the rule maker. There's somebody in the family who is the rule breaker. There's somebody in the family who's the peacekeeper. There's somebody in the family who's the people pleaser. There's somebody in the family who's the disruptor. And all of those roles are necessary, right? And if let's say in your family of origin, you learned to suppress your needs because you didn't want to disappoint somebody, I guarantee you that's going to show up in your relationship with your team, where you're going to suppress your need to say, that actually didn't work for me. (laughs) And because you don't want to hurt their feelings, or you don't want to disappoint them, or what are you going to do if they leave, right? You don't want to be abandoned. And that came from a very ancient part of you that didn't want to be abandoned if your mom was mad at you. So, you know, these, these conditions, this conditionality that we've learned does not need to be the way that we move through life. We're allowed to evolve. And if we don't do the inner work, if we don't do the inner child work and the shadow work and the the retraining of the nervous system, we keep repeating the same thing over and over. Because the way we do anything is the way we do everything. The essence of who we are is unchanging. The conditions change over time. So it may be that, you, you know, let's say in your family of origin, you perceive yourself as the outcast in the family. And it may be that I mean, this was how I perceived myself when I was younger. I perceived myself as the black sheep. I perceived myself as the one who was in the corner with an easel. Nobody paid attention to me. Nobody loved me. That's what I thought. And years, years later, in my 30s, I had a conversation with my sister and uh, we were in a a group um, retreat around finding your purpose. Maybe I was, yeah, I think I was in my my mid thirties. And, um, and the word was love. The facilitator threw the word into the space love. And he said, journal about what the word love means to you. So I took the word love. And to me, I felt unlovable if I was being an artist because I perceived that nobody paid attention to me. Uh, nobody valued my art. I thought it was 
a badge of shame to be so creative. My sister took the word love and she perceived, wow, Deborah gets so much attention because she's so creative. I don't get any attention because I'm looking at microscopes, right? So I looked at her and I saw she was getting attention from our dad with biology and microscopes and rock polishers and all the fun stuff that chemistry sets that my dad did with her. He didn't do any of that with me. And my sister looked at everything I was creating and said, I'm not getting any of that. It was so fascinating to realize, wow, we're both looking at each other and we both want what each other has. And it was just this fascinating moment of realizing the only thing in the room is actually love. And we both missed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or you you saw the other getting it, but you didn't see how you were also... I saw the other getting it, but we, I didn't see how I was getting it. And she didn't see how she was getting it. Right. Exactly. Like we both had a blind spot around that. So, you know, in a, it, so how does that show up in my business? So it used to show up in my business that I was really afraid of my clients being mad at me. I was really afraid that they'd be mad at me. And, you know, I couldn't show up as a money coach, I couldn't show up really taking a fierce stand for people valuing themselves, for women valuing themselves, for women owning their worth until I did that myself. I could not like be over here for one client and then be over here for another client. I'd be completely untrustworthy. And this shows up in our businesses until we really do the inner work and we develop an unwavering sense of this is who I am and I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah. Yeah, it shows up in our families. It shows up. Yeah, Yeah, we can't leave in our communities. It shows up in how we relate to people at church. It shows up, right? Right. Like everywhere. Yeah. One of the things as you were you were talking that came up for me is this um, this realization of how much we caretake. You know, we are we are constantly caretaking for other people. We are anticipating what their experience is and somehow assuming responsibility for how they experience us, how they experience a given situation, how they experience the trauma in their life, how they experience the loss they just had. You know, we we take responsibility for things that aren't our responsibility to take. And in so doing, we create an immense amount of stress. And doing that also just kind of reinforces that I'm invisible oftentimes, you know, and it's another thing that I think is re- a really important dimension of this conversation is for each one of us to start getting more present to how we caretake mm-hmm. and how we are constantly morphing and accommodating and um, and considering and uh, preferring another person's experience above our own. And you think about the toll that takes on the body for years and years of I'm not as important. I'm not enough. My needs aren't as important. I don't matter enough. I did this with my team. I would I would look at whatever their experience was. Never mind we had a deadline. Never mind we had, you know, certain things. I felt uncomfortable like having having a requirement of this is what you'll be accountable for because I'm caretaking around whatever is showing up along with them in this shared space that we have. I would love for you to talk more about caretaking. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. And there's a, there's a shadow piece around this. That's a really big it's a one. Big shadow. Right. Huge. So when we take responsibility for someone else, it gives us a false sense of importance. 
mm-hmm. right? I'm so important. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to help you. You need me, right? It, it gives me a sense of I'm so important and you need me. Talk about what shadow is for, for okay. someone watching who's not familiar with the concept of, of, of your shadow or there being a shadow to um, the conscious projection. What is shadow? Shadow is the part of ourselves that we disown, that we shame, that we're uncomfortable with, that we would rather not acknowledge is a part of us. So we, we get rid of it. We, you know, shove it into the closet. We disown it. We, we put it in a box and we put it in the attic and we're never going to open it again. But because that is a piece of who we are, we're constantly looking for it. And because we're constantly looking for it, we will unconsciously find it in another person because that's actually a part of me that I'm looking for. And Mm -hmm. your shadow can be your dark shadow or your light shadow. A dark shadow is, um, let's say, I don't want anybody to know that I really want to make a lot of money. Why? Because I have these beliefs that people who make a lot of money, they're greedy, they trash the environment, they're uh, misogynist, they're X, Y, Z, and I don't want to be like that, right? I've got a whole bunch of judgment that I heap on people who make a lot of money. So I can't let anybody know that I want to make a lot of money. So that becomes my shadow. I don't want people to think I'm greedy. Well, you know what? You're going to have to learn to value you. You're going to have to learn to say, hey, I matter and my time is valuable. My voice is not is valuable, right? And it's not actually greedy. You know, there's so much judgment around feeling guilty around inserting myself into the conversation. I kind of tiptoe in and I like just take a little crumb. No, you matter. You're worthy. You're deserving. You deserve to be here. This is your time. Take it, right? But if we if we've got so much shame around the desire, we won't let ourselves have it. And then we'll project onto somebody else. Oh, look at what a rich a-hole that person is. Look how greedy that person is. Look how ostentatious that person is, et cetera. Right. And, and what your, we're really your judgments benefit. often will reveal if you have the courage to look right at what that shadow is. So let's yeah. tie that back into the caretaking. So in so in the caretaking, you know, the image that pops to mind is the word selfish. So many people, women especially, feel guilty when they spend time with themselves. If you spend time meditating and your kids come in the room and they immediately say, mommy, mommy, I need something, and you feel guilty, you're not allowing yourself to recognize, I deserve this. I need this. I'm the best mom ever when I give myself permission to meditate, you know? And, and if we can't really own that our desires are valid, our needs for self-reflection, for self-compassion, for self-love, for self-forgiveness um, are, are valid and necessary we will constantly be creating conflict in our lives and we'll look at other people who take time for themselves. And, you know, in that example, you might get really mad at your husband because he's taking time for himself and you get mad at him because he's taking time for himself. You're not actually mad at him for taking time for himself. You're mad at you for not allowing you to take time for you. So that's an example of shadow. Yeah. So I'm going to share a real life example of that. Um, in my partnership, uh, about two years ago, Roderick started a business. So I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years and almost uh, 22. Roderick 
just started the journey. So the first couple of years of our relationship, I enjoyed so much support from him at home. He would take care of the cars. He would take care of fixing stuff around the house. He would take care of putting things together. He took care of all the handyman stuff, but he would also take care of dinner. He would take care of vacuuming the rugs. He would take care. I mean, he just, he really provided a lot. He, his career at the time um, consisted of him going out and working really, really hard for about two or three weeks. He's a mechanic in um, in racing and high-performance cars. So okay. he would go out and do these events at racetracks across the country and he would bust his butt and then he would come home and he would have a few weeks off before he would have to go out and do it again. So I enjoyed a lot of support from him and it was one of the favorite things that I had about our relationship. Well, when he started working, he didn't have the energy or the time when he started his business and he's working every day. He didn't have the energy or the time when he would come home. He just wanted to relax. And he would relax. And so I felt like just from my own wiring of like, everything has to get done and I have to take responsibility for everything. I was taking responsibility for everything at home and I was starting to feel resentment. And I communicated this to him. Like, I'm feeling two things. I'm feeling on the one hand, like I, I totally understand where you are and what you're building right now. I've been through this cycles of this. I get it. And I really want you to feel supported. And I am like stressed out because I'm taking care of everything at home, right? And I was trying to negotiate like more contribution from him, from him, but he was not going to give more contribution because he felt like I've worked all day. I need to recharge. I need to relax, right? And of course, I'm feeling like, well, I would love to recharge and relax too, but I can't do that because I have to take care of everything at home. And it was just kind of the cycle. And I had this aha it was in like November or December of last year. I had this aha of like, why can't we just bring someone in to support us, to support me? You know, why can't, why can't we find a way so that I'm also not having to do all the things? And it was really challenging for me at first when I started thinking about this. It's like, pay for someone to be like a personal assistant for us, you know, like there was a part of me that felt like, well, that's not who I am. And I'm not the person that can, you know, pay for that. Like, I'm not one of those people. And then I, of course I'm challenging myself. What is one of those people? Like, what do you even, I don't even, what are you even saying right now? You know? And it just was like this loop that was playing. And I was just like following all the threads. Okay. I have these beliefs and I'm assigning this meaning. And it's like, I had to untangle and unravel this whole thing to get to the point where it was like, He's not wrong for not wanting to work when he comes home. I'm not wrong for not wanting to work. The solution is not to make him do what he doesn't want to do. And the solution is not for me to keep doing all of this, <laughs> right? So we like find another solution and I just feel so relieved and we both feel so supported in our relationship. It's in such a sweet, beautiful place because we have time together. We're both relaxing and unwinding and it's just, it's like so nurturing. And it was me needing to give myself permission to have the support, but not expect it's going to come from someone who doesn't have it to give. Right. But like, it is, I, it's such a, a mind freeze twister for me to invest some of our family budget in getting that. Like it's a, am I worthy of this? You know, is this really something that I need or should have. And there's also this recognition of like, I I am detoxing mold right now. I need less stress, not more. I need to find ways to lighten my load. I need to stop making excuses for why I shouldn't 
make the investment and I need to embrace what it is I really need. And it's been absolutely life-changing, but like I am someone who's done a lot, a lot, a lot of work on this stuff and, you know, dove deep into so many different um, modalities and teaching and trainings and integrating all of that. And yet still it was a challenge. So like, I, I understand, I relate to the, the whole shadow conversation in such an accessible, like it, I just had this experience. And if we can have the courage to look at our shadows and then open ourselves to possibility, instead of constantly projecting that out on other people, we can move ourselves into a much better place, place where we're more supported, you know, but it, it does take like, it took a lot of courage for me to look at that for myself. And I mentioned it to a friend and they're like, oh yeah, you guys have so much going on. Of course you would do that. But that, that wasn't my conscious awareness around that experience, you know, but we do this all the time. Like I could probably sit here and tell you 10 stories of how this is showing up in my life. And, um, and I hope that as people are watching and listening, that it gives them a little bit of a, Hey, Hey, I think this is showing up in my life too. Well, you shared earlier uh, that, you know, part of your conditioning was that you learned when you were little that your mom can count on you. Your mom can trust you. Yeah. And you, you, you jumped to the conclusion that that meant that you were the person who was supposed to be counted on and you were the person who was supposed to be the trustworthy one. Yeah. And what you are now also recognizing is that your mom was showing you a shadow piece, which was that your mom was showing you how to be a great receiver because you are such a giver. Your mom was receiving from Uh you, right? Uh And so you're now allowing yourself to be a great receiver and Mm. you're recognizing that you can count on somebody else. You can trust somebody else and you don't have to do everything on your own. And the idea of, I have to do everything. There's nobody to support me is the divine feminine gone awry Yeah, because it's too dispersed and that does create depletion. It does create exhaustion. If we just give away, give away, give away, and there's no one to support me, there's no container for me. And the divine masculine is you've got a personal assistant, you've got team support to put the summit together. And that really allows you to be in your zone of genius And it's a divine feminine way of allowing your personal assistant and your tech support and all the pieces that are supporting you be in your zone of genius. They're each in their zone of genius and everybody benefits. It's really a win-win. Yeah. And I, and I want to talk a little bit about how you create these relationships, because it's one thing to say, count on everyone else in your life to support you. And it's another thing to have the kind of people in your life that you can count on. And I certainly had years of experience where I had wonderful people in my life, but I couldn't count on them to support me. And it reinforced the story that I can't count on other people to support me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can't, I have to keep doing all the things because I don't have people in my life to support me, right? And it's this self, it's like a, it's like a cycle. When I first started dating Roderick, this is how I dated. For any women out there that want dating tips, this strategy was clutch. It was clutch. Um, I was on an app. I was on Bumble. And every single person that I interacted with, I had the same opening question. Tell me more. What are you looking for? 
I didn't have a big agenda about what they were looking for necessarily. What I was gauging is, are you looking to create something with someone or are you looking to like entertain yourself with some surface connection, right? Or like, what are you, what are you looking for? If I spoke with a man who was threatened by this, like, whoa, what do you mean? We just swiped right. You know, like, what are you saying? Like I could, I could feel the defenses of like, oh, don't, don't get close. Don't think for a minute that you're going to get close to me. For me, it was like, he's just not open. Um, if I talked to a man who was just really surface, like I'm just looking for some casual, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, really busy with work and I don't really have time for a relationship, but I really like to take someone out on dates and whatever. It's like, okay, well, that's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I'm committed to creating. And it was just like this process of elimination of like, like the, inc- the incredible swiping left. I was committed. I was not going to spend time with the man who was in various stages of not ready. The previous 10 plus years of my life, I had boyfriends, but the longest relationship was two years. I had one on and off guy for like 10 years. It was ridiculous. Um, but, you know, most of the time it was like six months, three months, two months. You know, I would get into it and I'd be like, this this is a no. Like I, I at least learned enough to know when it was a no, but I wasn't, I wasn't attracting the yes, you know? So when Roderick and I first started talking on the apps, he was doing the casual thing. Oh, I just, I'm just in town for a few days. He was here for an event at circuit of the Americas, which is the F1 track here in Austin. For those of you that are in that sort of into that sort of thing. And he's like, I'm here for an event. I'm working with AMG Mercedes. I just want to find um, someone to maybe go have, have drinks or snacks with after work. I mean, he was like super casual. And I came back with, okay, well, I hope you have an awesome time while you're here. This isn't really what I'm looking for. I'm not really looking to create like a casual, someone's in town, you know, hookup. I'm actually super busy. Um, but, you know, have a great time in Austin. And I here's a couple of places you might want to check out while you're here. And I was done. Like he was, I could see the little dots where he was messaging me back and I was going to let him message me back, but I was done with the conversation. We were going to unmatch. And he came back with a Hail Mary play of like, well, well, wait, wait. Um, so what I'm looking to create is I've always wanted to create a great home life with someone. And then we started actually really having a deeper conversation. So we started connecting a little more. This was me recognizing that what I needed for partnership and to be supported was someone who was actually open to creating that, right? Like I tried so hard to be enough for all these people who were not ready, who are closed. So I remember the first week we were together, we, Roderick and I are easy like Sunday morning. We vibe, we were really connected to each other. Um, it's, we have fun together. We have similar interests and tastes and things, even though in a lot of ways we're really different, but like socially, like I met his friends. Um, he met my friends that week and we got to a point where he was like, you know, you want to come off the apps? You want this to be... And I was still having some anxiety around, even though I loved our connection around, like, I don't really want to create a long distance relationship with someone. Like, that's not what I've committed to. And I needed to know that if we were going to invest in this, we weren't, in, we weren't creating a long distance relationship. We were going to actually create a relationship where you participate in my life and I participate in your life, you know, and we're talking on the phone every night, even if it's for two minutes, I don't care. Like, I don't want a texting buddy. So I have these things and I remember in the moment thinking, I know what I need, 
but I had this fear around what if I say this and it's not for him and he walks away, leaves, you know, then it's like back to square one again. Someone's not there. My, my whole life, I, I settled, settled, settled for, for just a warm body really that was there instead of someone who was really showing up for me. So I, I called on my courage and I told him, so a hell yes looks for, looks like we're seeing each other every two to three weeks and not for the weekend. I want like four, four to five days a week. Like I don't want to create a long distance relationship with someone. And I, I want us to, to connect every single day, even if it's for a couple of minutes and not through texting. I don't want to text anybody. This is what I want. And I really set the conditions for creating something that would actually have the potential to meet my needs. And I had been doing that the previous probably four to six months of dating, but it was the first time I really did that in a, in relating to a man. And I had actually been practicing this with work before coming up to this point, like starting to tell people, here's the things I need you to be accountable and responsible for. And what do you need to be able to be accountable for this? But I want to be able to hold you accountable. And of course, some people are a no, right? But like the candid, real communication around that helped it help me to find the people who actually could provide that support. And it's, it's, it's all theory. And it's like the idea of, you know, support. I, I want people to see how you, you are creating this support in your life. And it's so important that you're making a stand for this. And I would love for you. I'm, I'm so excited for you to talk about your perspective on this and how this shows up and maybe giving people some strategies on how they can start creating this in their life. I love what you just shared around intentional creation and intentional creation is not stressful. Intentional creation is this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And we're walking that into the world. And that's exactly what you did. And the corollary to that is when we are reacting to something and that's what creates a lot of stress. Why? I believe it creates a lot of stress because when we're reacting to something, we're, we're, we're automatically coming from a one down position. If I'm reacting to something, it's already been created by them. I'm reacting to my circumstances. I'm reacting to his schedule. I'm reacting to his level of interest. I'm reacting to what he wants. And if it's not what I want, I'm trying to shoehorn myself into reacting to what it is that he wants. And I've automatically devalued me. I've automatically contorted me to fit him. Mm -hmm. And you just rose. You just said, this is what I need. This is what I'm looking for. This is what works for me. And, mm -hmm. and if he wasn't on the same page, you're just going to keep going. Yeah. And there's a famous Rumi line where he says, what you are seeking is seeking you. And I've seen this over and over when we're super clear, when we're super laser, this is the kind of client I work for. This is the kind of relationship I'm in. This is the kind of business I'm building. This is the kind of leader I am. And we walk forth as that. Who's ever not in alignment with that will spin out of our orbit. You know, I say to my clients all the time when they say, oh, well, my ideal client is XYZ, but they can't afford me. I'm like, excuse me, if they can't afford you, they're not your ideal That's client. Your like it's simple. simple. <laughs> they're not your ideal client. Your ideal client wants what you have to offer and they're happy to pay you for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we've got to, we've got to, you know, it's so unconscious. It's so deeply buried in our conditioning that, oh, I'm going to give and they're not going to pay me. No, 
you're going to give and they're going to come forth loving you, wanting more of you because they dig you, they value you, they want to co-create with you. And when, when we're in that kind of relationship where I'm in my wholeness and my partner's in my wholeness, we rise together. And when I'm in my wholeness and my clients are showing up fully uh, courageous and and feeling safe and secure to experiment and grow and and make mistakes they can learn, everybody wins. When you step up like that, you give people permission to also step up. Yeah, there's that Marianne Williamson quote, right? Mm -hmm. We gain nothing by dimming our light. Mm -hmm. And none of us needs to be spreading more negativity and fear in the world. You know, shine your light, turn it up, be an uplifter, be an encourager for yourself and for another. And not at the expense of another, right? You can't walk around saying, well, I don't, I can uplift you, but not me. No, I'm going to uplift me and I'm going to uplift you. That's right. Roderick told me maybe six months after we started dating that, that after that conversation that he knew he would move to Austin, like he kind of made a decision in that moment. And he said, Misty, if you hadn't been so clear about what we needed to do, because he was a he was a yes. He was like, okay, well, that's what she wants. He felt actually inspired about the opportunity to participate in the creation of that with another person. He said, I I never would have, I never would have made sure to call you every day. And I never would have prioritized us seeing each other as much as we did. You know, it's like I I called forth something in him that was a yes. And it's like the way our whole relationship unfolded was just so magical, but it really started with my own courage to create this with a person and kind of making a stand, putting a stake down saying, this is what I'm committed to. And this is what I would like to create. Is this what you would like to create? And then getting clear on that. Like I I think about how different my life could have been if I would have had the courage to do that 10 or 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, the pain and the stress, the overwhelming like loneliness. And I I am alone and and I I I don't know what I'm doing all of this for. And the, the burnout that I would experience so often in my life because I was committed to being invisible to myself. Mm-hmm. And it's an unbelievable gift to be visible. I don't go to Roderick. I don't go to anybody and demand, Hey, you have to, you know, I, I go with a, this is what I would like to create. What do you think about this? And that language of creation actually permeates our entire relationship. And Roderick tells me all the time, like I've I didn't even know it was possible to create with someone. And he, I didn't really even know that was a thing before we met, but here's, I I think I would like to create this and, you know, we're, we're able to be a lot more present and really in, in the light, you know, with, with what's true and real for us, but creating that does take some courage and some skill um, so that you can count on the people in your life and you can see the people in your life supporting you. It's really, really possible to change the tide on that. And it also requires that you count on you and that you trust you. Yes. Right. I need to count on me. I need to trust me so that if you have a different opinion, 
I'm still unwavering because I count on myself. I know for sure that my knowing is valuable. My contribution is valuable. And I know for sure that yours is too. And we might not be, you know, wanting, we might not be finding enjoyment in the same things. Like I think about my relationship with my husband. Uh, I did a similar thing when we were dating where I just said, this is what I need. This is what I need. And if, if that doesn't feel comfortable for you, then we'll part ways. Then you're, you're not my person. And yeah. this is what I need. And within 24 hours, like he made a commitment and he needed yeah. me to say, this is what I need. And it actually yeah. created safety for him. Right now, he's very, talk, very... Talk more about that because I think that's a foreign... I think people think if I state what I need, then I'm being selfish. Mm. If, I, if I state what I need, then um, then the other person's going to lose. If I state what I need, you know, we just have so many st- stories around mm. that. I think that would be something really great for you to unpack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that a lot in, in people wanting to be in, ter- to be in relationships and they also are afraid that I'm going to lose my freedom. And what I was actually really clear about with my husband um, on our very first date, uh, we also met through online dating. It wasn't Bumble. It was a different app. Uh, But we met and we sat down for brunch and we said on that very first date, what are yellow flags about you? What are things about you that if I knew it, I might want to run the other way? Like we were totally transparent from the beginning. And the other question was... What's something uh, that you need to know about me that is a non-negotiable? And what I said that he needed to know about me that was such a good questions. Yeah, uh, I said I need I need you to know that I am really devoted to my meditation practice. I dated a guy like you on and off for 10 years. I feel like somehow like (laughs) how funny that we're together, but I dated a guy on and off for 10 years. And the straw that really terminated our relationship was we went to India together and I got up and I meditated every morning. And he said, what's wrong with you? Why do you need to meditate? And I was just like, "Uh, uh, 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 and that was the, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't say it. Like, why do you have to breathe air? Why do you have to create internal spaciousness? Why do I have a need to remind myself of the truth of who I am, which is unconditionally made of love and space and kindness and compassion. It's as important as the, I mean, it is the air I breathe. And um, so when I met Lon, I said, I need you to know that I meditate every day. And if that is going to be threatening to you, this will not work. And it seems like a really simple thing for me to say, my meditation practice is important to me. Sometimes it's 20 minutes and I need that. And he respects that. And he's not threatened by it. He like, now he knows how powerful it is because meditation allows me to manifest five, 10, hundred thousand dollars like that. And that might sound crazy. It's not crazy when you know how to really channel the power that you are. And now he jokes with me. He's like, we need new windows. Can you come up with $7,000? I'm like, okay, I'm on it. Like, I'll just be on it. Like he's, he's totally, he's like, he's on board with it. He likes uh, he does martial arts. And so he's always, you know, he's more like Bruce Lee and, you know, who was an incredibly spiritual guy, right? But like he was fighting. And so my husband, like he, he really loves his martial art and he comes home and he talks about fighting and attacking. And there's a part of me that just 
really, you know, I have to work honestly to really unconditionally love the part of him that loves fighting. And this is part of my shadow because, you know, the part of me that just loves the softness and the sweetness and the, you know, there's nothing attacking in meditation. It's just like ecstasy. And, and so we're a beautiful polarity for each other. And, uh, and it sounds like you and your partner are also beautiful polarity for each other. And, and that creates such freedom for both of you. He goes mm-hmm. off and he does his, you know, the martial art that he loves to do. And I go off and I do the yoga retreats and the meditation retreats that I love to do. And we both support each other doing the things that internally create the freedom for ourselves. Why do you think that the directness created safety? I think the directness creates safety because the directness is setting a boundary. It is saying this, I will not tolerate, or this I will tolerate. And we receive what we tolerate. You know, people who are, I used to operate as a starving artist because that's what I was willing to tolerate. I was willing to tolerate an identity of somebody who didn't earn money. And I'm no longer willing to tolerate that as an identity. I was willing to tolerate, oh, you can come and go. You don't have to make a commitment to me. I was not willing to tolerate that with my husband. It was, no, I want to be with you. I'm very clear. I want to be with you. I want to have a life with you. I want to grow old with you. I am very clear about that. And if you are not clear about that, you're not my person. Yeah, I I think of the safety that I feel when people are really direct and honest. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like I can trust them. Yes. It makes me feel like I can trust our exchange. I can trust what we might create together in this moment. It's a little small creation, a big creation, a long-term creation, a short creation. You know, I think I think the the trust is so important. And the trust is what really helps you to relax into that safety that you just described. And that's true with our teams. It's true with our family members. It's true with our bodies, mm-hmm. right? When we can trust that our bodies are doing exactly what they need to do. Our bodies are here in support of us. It really contributes so much to our healing. What would you say to the person who, who is in relationships where they themselves don't feel safe? They don't feel like they can count on the other person but they feel like this relationship is too important to let go. Um, I I have to make this work somehow. Mm. How does someone in that situation navigate what we're describing? Well, families of origin are good examples of that. And I think there are a couple of practices that can be very helpful in this. One is the practice of gratitude. Really looking for what do I appreciate about this person? You know, just like I shared earlier, that I didn't realize that love was coming my way because I thought my sister was getting it all. I thought there wasn't enough love for both of us. And we really need to widen our lens and see what is it that I really appreciate about this person. And practice gratitude. Really say to that person, I thank you for X, Y, Z. Thank you for X, Y, Z. I really appreciate that you X, Y, Z that will go miles towards softening the resentment. The second thing that I think is really important is for you to ask yourself, just like you did with your partner when you realized, well, I really need more support around XYZ things around the house. Well, what did you really want? What you really wanted 
underneath, I want somebody to do the dishes or somebody to go shopping or somebody to do my laundry. What I really want is time to connect with my partner. What I really want is time for me to not have to be doing, just to be in pure presence with myself. What I really want is more spaciousness in my day. How can you go about creating that directly? What can you do directly so that you create space in your day? And meditation is a beautiful way, even five conscious breaths, to slow everything down. I also recommend different mind-body tools like tapping and breath work to retrain the nervous system that spaciousness is your birthright. We're more space than we are matter. We're 99.99999% space. And yet we fail to recognize that it's present right now. Like most of this room is space but you're probably focusing on me or you're focusing on Misty and you're not recognizing the space that is here and widening our lens so that we're seeing what is present right now will go a long way in helping you not need to react to the other person that you're with, not need to fix them. You might be operating from a place of what's wrong with them and The third thing that I want to suggest is a worksheet that is freely available. It's the work of Byron Katie, and it's called Judge Your Neighbor. And it's a beautiful mirror for you to look into when you see, oh, they're not listening to me. Oh, I'm not listening to me. They're not paying attention to me. Oh, I'm not paying attention to me. They're ignoring me. Oh, I'm ignoring me, et cetera. It's such an eye-opening way for you to see what you need. And how can you meet your needs directly right now without yeah. needing them to do anything? Yeah. I love the work so much. I'm so glad you mentioned it. So I had an experience with the work when I was around 35, I think. Um, I grew up with a really challenging relationship with my father. Um, the story was that um, my mom was carrying everything at home. My dad didn't support her. Um, my father had, I mean, his wounding from childhood is, is unreal and he compensates with like a lot of ego and bravado and he's very, um, he's like the Southern patriarchal male stereotype. Um, like what a lot of people would call toxic masculinity when I was younger, I saw my dad exhibit a lot of those behaviors and my mom very often felt like she was alone and taking care of everything at home. Right. So my relationship with my dad was really tainted by me taking up the offense and the caretaking for my my mom, right? I remember actually having an experience in my 30s where I just had to come to Jesus with myself about my frustration against my dad. I'm like, you know, you're you're upset with him for not being a certain way in his marriage to my mom, right? Except she's not upset about it. I mean, she's upset, but she's choosing it. She's chosen to be with him all these years. And she's not leaving and she's choosing to see the silver lining and to see the bright side and, you know, all of that. And, and I'm carrying around like this anger and resentment and whatever. And I committed that I was going to start letting go. And there was one time I was home with my family and my dad was just being so controlling. Like I just felt like he was trying to 
manipulate and control and use a lot of force and anger. Like he uses his anger to control. And it was, I was just livid about it. And I came home and I was so wound up about this that I did the judge your neighbor worksheet and did all the different turnarounds in there. And of course the turnarounds were, um, um, I'm trying to control my, my dad is trying to control me. I'm trying to control my dad. Is that true? Well, <laughs> right. If he weren't angry, I wouldn't be upset. It's his fault that I'm upset. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then the turnaround was my dad is not trying to control me. Is that true? And I thought about that and I was like, well, I could see where that's true too. And it was just a real power. Like I could feel like, I can't even, I was so, I mean, we're talking a lifetime of anger and resentment that I had juiced and juiced and juiced and juiced and juiced. So by the time I actually sat down to do this, and you know, I'm like reliving a whole lifetime of stories that I've told myself about what this is. And just doing that worksheet, it started just dissolving everything. And there was a part of me that didn't want like, wait, I need to, I'm justified. <laughs> Right. Who am I going to be angry? Angry about this. But I just went with the process and I got to the end and it was like a, like I just saw the humanity of all of it. I saw the stories of all of it. I saw where I was getting stuck in a belief that I was trying, I was trying to make a sliver of truth be the whole truth. And my relationship with my dad has been different ever since. I'm 46 now. So this was a decade ago. One time doing the judge your neighbor worksheet. Now that doesn't mean it's perfect. It's a perfect relationship. But I, I'm not carrying the charge of all those years of stories I told myself about the situation. I've, I've been liberated. And it's wonderful not to carry that around. And I'm so glad. I think if, are you familiar enough with the worksheet to kind of walk people through mm -hmm. what's in that worksheet? I would love it. So the worksheet starts. And if there's something that you're feeling triggered about right now, go ahead and bring it to your mind. And you just want to start. I am really fill in the blank with so-and-so. So I'm really pissed off with so-and-so. I'm really frustrated with so-and-so. I'm really angry with so-and-so. Um, I'm really mad at so-and-so. I'm really disappointed with so-and-so. Something like that. You want to fill in the blank with, I am feeling blank with so-and-so. And then you're going to turn it around. Oh, actually, that's, so then the next thing is, what do you want? So what I really want, uh, can we have a concrete example? Let's come up with a concrete example. I'm really mad with um, my husband for not uh, doing his dishes. That might not be something that really triggers you, or it might be something that you're just like ready to blow a gasket. Massively, yeah. Right? And like, I see it and I just crack up about it. I think it's hilarious. I make little videos that I'm Inspector Deborah and I'm finding a coffee cup here and I'm finding a plate over here. And like, I just totally make fun of him and I make fun of him that he's like a teenager. And, you know, he does all the laundry, so I'm not mad about it. But I can totally see that a former version of me might feel really put upon. How come you're leaving it for me? You're leaving it for me to clean up. So I'm really pissed off with so-and-so because um, they don't do their dishes and I have to take responsibility. I'm really pissed off with so-and-so because they lied to me. And then the second part is, well, what I really want, what I really want is I really want Lon to put his dishes in the dishwasher himself. I really want Lon to, uh, I'm totally laughing at myself because I leave piles of clothes everywhere on the floor. So clearly this is about me, right? 
but I'm not triggered by it. So it's not a very good example. But so part one is I am emotion with another person. We want to start blaming them. Part two is what I really want. I want them to do X, Y, Z so that I can feel okay. Now you can see why this is so disempowering because I want them to do X, Y, and Z so that they can feel okay, but I don't control them, which means I'm going to have to wait for them to do X, Y, Z for me to feel okay. And if they never do it, I'm never going to feel okay. And we got to see that. We got to see how we've totally given our power to them to control our emotion. That's part two. Part three is I get to be spiritually self-righteous because I know everything. I'm the one who's controlling everything. Clearly. So part three, right? Part three is here's what you should be doing. Like, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I'm right. And, you know, I'm doing this kind of tongue in cheek because I live and breathe this work. This is what I do with my clients to help them heal their money stories. So they can go on and make six and seven figure uh, businesses that are sustainable and soul aligned and good for the planet and good for you and your families and stopping so afraid of your power and your worth, and your value. So um, I, I hope that you'll receive this with, with a, a big grain of salt, because when we're in it, we feel so vulnerable. We identify with the feeling and we've got to, we've got to pay serious attention to what feels so justified. Our anger feels so justified. Our betrayal, our disappointment, our rage feels so justified. And you really want to give it time and space that it's requesting. Okay. So part three, I get to put on my self-righteous hat and say, here's what you should be doing. Let me give you some advice about everything you're doing that's wrong. Now we know that pisses people off when they do it to us. We don't realize we're doing it. So this is a really great part of the exercise because we get to recognize, here's me telling you what you should be doing. You shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing that. We love to do that. And it's really annoying to be on the receiving end of that. And then part four, in order for me to be happy, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to think. Here's what I need you to say. To say. So um, you mentioned that you realized that you were trying to control your dad. This is the part of the exercise where you realize, oh, that's me trying to control him. So in order for me to be happy, I need you to think something. I need you to say something. I need you to behave a particular way. If you act and think and feel and behave, and believe in accordance with me, I'll be good, right? It's If I, I get to control you, I'll be good. If you control me, I'm bad. If I control you, I'm good. Is this making you cringe? This is why I love this exercise. I don't mean you, Misty. I mean, like, listeners. This is why I love this exercise so much because yeah. it just, you know, dissolves all of our stuff like that. There's, like, there's a really powerful part of doing it where you you actually you write down, you judge harshly, and this is what I want, and this is what you should do, and all the things. And then you go back and you start reviewing and you yeah. say, is it true? Yeah. Is it true? Yes how, or no. How do I know that it's true? Mm-hmm. And you evaluate every single one. Is it true? How, how, how do I know? How can I be sure that it's true? And that that really is what starts the deconstruction process, I think, to really... Is it, is it true? And, and how then, do I react when I believe it's true? And that's right. Totally. How do I react when I think you're controlling me? How uh-huh. do I react when I think you're lying to me? Yes. And yes. what happens when I believe that thought? Mm-hmm. And who would I be without my anger? Who would mm-hmm. I be if you weren't lying to me? Who would I be if I could count on you? 
right? I'm going to have to lose the identity that I can't count on anybody if I could count on you. And then we turn it around. And this is even next level clarity when we realize, oh, it's not that he did this to me. It's me doing this to him. I'm leaving my piles of mail and piles of clothes everywhere. And he's not complaining, but I'm complaining when he does that. Like I'm seeing my own self in it. Uh, He's trying to control me. Oh, I'm trying to control him. And so we turn the thought around. So if A, then B, we turn it around. If B, then A. And if not B, then not A. And and we look at it from every angle. So, so why don't you walk through it with your opening, your opening belief and, and, and actually reword all the turnarounds so people can see what it's like. So let's say my opening belief is I'm angry with my husband because he never does the dishes. So first turnaround. I'm angry with myself. For not doing the dishes. I never do the dishes. He did do the dishes. My husband does the dishes 90% of the time, (laughs) but I'm not angry with him anyway. But if I were, like I'd have to recognize he does do the dishes and he- I'm not angry with my husband. Right. I'm not angry with my husband. And my husband isn't intentionally trying to piss me off, right? We just look at it from every possible perspective. My husband is angry at me for not doing the dishes. Right. My husband is angry at me for not doing- My husband is angry at me for not doing the dishes. I'm angry at me. (laughs) My husband's not angry with me for not doing the dishes. (laughs) Right. right? Like we need to see all of them so that we can see, wow. What's true. What's really true. And how do I really know it's true? Right. And, and, And then what do I want to do with that? What I realize, I love what you said about I'm taking a sliver of the truth for the whole truth. And I think that creates a lot of stress for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the ego juices and juices and juices when we just feel that self-righteous. Right. And we all feel it. You know, there's a part of me that like, I'll, I'll catch myself cycling and I'll just watch and I just let myself just juice the heck out of it in my head, whatever, mm-hmm. pull out, become that observer, just kind of watch it, burn it out. And then, all right, now we need to do the work on this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not always ready in the moment to do the work on it. And that's okay too. Right. But just, I think so much of this is just noticing. Mm-hmm. Just noticing. I think there's something also about how we manage our energy. And this has everything to do with burnout. So I've noticed that I have a pattern of I'm mostly chill, 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 chill. And then right before I do a big enrollment event, my energy just gets laser. Like I'm really going at it for about two weeks, a quarter, where I'm really, really, really burning the candle. And I might be working 10, 12 hours a day, seven days a week for two weeks, a quarter. And most of the time, I'm just like this. And I realize that there's something in chemistry that's called a catalyst. It's like a flashpoint where something will be like this and then it gets to the next level. And we need to put that energetic engine underneath of us. And some people need to generate internally some angst, some drama. Like we need to put the squeeze on ourselves internally 
like you probably are right now because you're in the middle of a summit. So you've got a lot of interviews to do right now and you've got a lot of moving parts. So you've got to be really, really structured for a, a, a finite amount of time so that you can get to the next level. So you can, you know, deliver this to all of your listeners, yeah. but yeah. you're mostly going to be operating, you know, at a, at a very relaxed pace. And when we can recognize this about our businesses, really to loop back to what we started and what I learned about the heart is that the heart is quite consistent. And when we're running, the heart's going to go faster and then we're going to recover and we need to build recovery in to our businesses. We need to build recovery into our relationships. We need to build recovery into every day. And recovery is synonymous with rest. We need to create spaciousness in each day, in the relationship, in the business, in the family, in the body, so that we're ready to fill again. I think there's this pressure in our culture to grind, Mm. to go, we there's it's a badge of honor to be busy to have a mm. packed schedule um mm. as parents we want to provide every experience under the sun with our kids and we just pack it all in and it's the go 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 all the time and there's not so much value in the spaciousness of recovery and the spaciousness mm. of being and not doing and um, and there's the pressure to care what other people think about how we're spending our time and what we're making a priority in our life. And there's this thing we do where we show up a certain way because we want people to think certain things about us. And there's just, there's n- n- noise. There's an unbelievable amount of noise and not a valuing of spaciousness and rest. And this is a big reason why we are so unbelievably stressed out. And it's why it can be so hard for us to heal. We follow the protocols and we take the supplements, but we're not sleeping enough at night and we're not giving ourselves time in the day to rest and recover. And we're not dedicated to a mindfulness practice that has us slow down because externally these things aren't valued and I would love as we're wrapping things up here, which sucks. <laughs> I would love for you to share a little bit about the value of that spaciousness and what we're doing, especially as women, but men too. I mean, look at Roderick is so much better about I need to rest and recover. And I think that that men have a lot easier time of vegging on the couch at the end of the day or going out with the guys and relaxing and, you know, and women just, you know, feel pressure to go, go, go. And it's not as permissible for us, but this is Mm -hmm. this problem right here, I think is so epidemic. And I would love for you just to address that here as we Mm -hmm. wrap things up. Mm -hmm. One of the things that became so clear to me and non-negotiable to me in my business was the requirement to rest, holding the heart in my hands and seeing that the heart rests and then it rests and then it rests, that it is a biological imperative for us to rest. And if we don't honor that, we create tremendous dis-ease in the body. There are two kinds of stress. There is eustress, which is good stress, EU stress. And that's the kind of stress of I'm skiing moguls, I'm running a marathon, I'm uh, you know, excited about a trip I'm gonna take, 
right? There's a, it, it's, it's an adrenaline, but the story that we wrap around it is I'm excited about it. And then there's something that we call distress, which is we feel put upon, it feels heavy, we feel anxious, and we really shut down. And neurologically, it stops us from being our most compassionate, loving, creative selves. It is really a detriment to our health. When we're experiencing distress, we actually uh, downregulate the immune receptors in our cells, which leave us more open to inflammation and uh, potentially to disease that will become disease. And so it has real physical consequences. Food can create a lot of stress in the body and it can create eustress and it can create distress. And thoughts also can create good stress, eustress, or distress. And we now know from epigenetics that our thoughts create just as much chemically in our systems as food and supplements. So it's really critically important that we manage our thoughts and that we that we manage the thoughts that are happening at the subconscious and unconscious level, thoughts that say, I'm not allowed to relax, right? If you're sitting on the couch, but the whole time you're sitting on the couch, you're feeling super anxious. You're not actually relaxing. And you've got to become aware of what you're not allowing yourself to experience. You've got to really become such a good observer of you. If you're sitting on the couch, I have been practicing this for several years and and I'm getting better and better at it. But I used to sit on the couch as if I were resting and I was so anxious. I felt so so guilty sitting on the couch. I felt so guilty on the weekend because I'm not emailing. I'm not doing more. And I would watch myself trying to rest. Like it was actually hard for me to rest, even though that's what I most craved. And it's something that we've got to train ourselves to strengthen in the same way that we've trained ourselves to strengthen the ability to push hard and do more. We don't need to push that pedal on the gas. We do need to get used to what does it feel like to really take the foot off the gas And really let the body repair, really let the mind rest. And it's not something that is, that has been promoted in the culture of the last 400 years. You mentioned toxic masculinity, and we've been talking about the patriarchy and the patriarchal culture is you're supposed to go, 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 go. And anything material, the jet or the nice car or the penthouse or whatever material thing of success is the badge that you are someone. And we're really entering a new level of consciousness in which we recognize that it's not the thing it's the experience. And, and so I love that you're bringing this message to millions of people, Misty, this message that rest is part of the cycle of growth. If you part of achieving, around, right. I mean, if you walk around the woods or you walk around a botanical garden or you go diving, you'll notice the flowers open in the light and they close when the sun goes down and when you start operating your business according to the rhythms of nature, you're not going to be productive 24 seven. You're not even going to be productive every day of the year. You're going to spend massive amounts of your time resting. And truly when we're in rest, when we're in a state of receptivity, that's when the inspiration comes. That's when the 
massive life-changing ideas come. That's when the visions come. Mm. That's when the co-creative crazy ideas come. It's not when we're in front of our computers doing. It's when we're in a place of, there's actually part of your brain, it's called the DMN, the, it's called the default mode network. Uh, and I've heard an acronym that it's do more nothing. <laughs> and when we're in do more nothing, we, we allow ourselves to be more and to be more no thing. I am not my accomplishments. I'm so much more than my accomplishments. I'm not my fancy car. I'm so much more than that. I'm not my private jet. I'm so much more than that. When we stop identifying as a thing and we allow ourselves just the expansive spaciousness of presence, of creativity, of love, everything will shift. Well, this has been a really powerful conversation. I have had chills so many times (laughs) as we've been talking, just feeling the just unbelievable truth and what i what i hope for people is some some freedom and hope it's one thing to talk about these concepts it's another thing to practically share stories and describe strategies for helping you put this into practice and i hope everyone who's listening or watching today really got a lot out of this it's given you guys things to think about contemplate you know um stuff that you might want to start integrating into your own life so thank you so much deborah this is fabulous if people want to learn more about you and your work where can they find you online i am quite visible online you can find me at deborahfryer.com i also invite you to join the anatomy of money academy it's a free facebook group where we talk mindset 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 nervous system nervous system nervous system all day long so that you can create and live and thrive in the way that your soul intends and desires awesome All right. Well, I've loved this. This has been really powerful. I hope you guys have all gotten a lot out of it too. And we will see you soon. Bye for now. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you're feeling more empowered to overcome your flabby, foggy, and fatigued and to reclaim your life. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss any of our episodes. We have some awesome shows coming right up. I love reading your reviews and comments too. They inspire me and encourage other Rosies to hang out with us and learn all these amazing strategies for healing and living our best lives. Till next time, sister. Bye.